just laid down to bed and you hear the crash downstairs. Someone jumps out from around a corner and screams in your face. What do you usually do? You about swing is what I do. But whatever that situation is, your body goes through a similar response. Mind is, did when you perceive a threat. And every time you are faced with this said situation, your response is similar. Until your experiences change. Right? Think of something that you used to be afraid of when you were a kid. Why are you no longer afraid of them? Because your experience changed. Right? Think of, I think of when I learned to ride a bike with no training wheels. I had a perceived threat that if I were to take the training wheels off the bike, I was going to crash and never walk again. Like, that's just what I thought in my head. Until I took the training wheels off the bike, crashed, and was able to walk again. Currently, Alex and I are in this great potty training phase with Sadie. And we've made a lot of progress in the last few weeks. I should say years. But there for a while, we could not get Sadie to sit on her potty. We even bought a mini potty because she loves mini, but she wanted nothing to do with it. She is my child. And there for a while, she would not sit on that potty unless we put a diaper in the potty with her. I don't know. You see, but what I do know is that there was a comfort level with having the diaper in the potty. For whatever reason. Without that diaper, she was afraid to use the potty. There was nothing that was changing her situation. Well, we recently changed the way that we reward her for going potty. And she doesn't go into flight or um, fight response so much when there's no diaper. In fact, we don't even need to ask her now if she needs to potty. She just does it. Her experience has changed, and thus her mind doesn't categorize that situation as a fear situation. And you know what? We've all been through, these, through similar fear situations where our, where our response alters based on those experiences. And this type of fear is the most common type of fear that we deal with. The Bible, however, talks about a different fear in Psalm 111.10. I'm going to read that, and if you have your Bible, you can turn there. And fear, but fear in Psalm 111.10 is actually used as a term to describe our relationship with God. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. You see, this morning we are starting a new series called Seasons of Renewal, Walking with God Through the Psalms. And if and this morning, we're going to talk about how we enter into that season of renewal. It does us no good to talk about a season of renewal if at first we don't talk about how to enter it. And the first thing of is, is that seasons of renewal begins with a fear of the Lord. Now, after what we just talked about, if you take fear of the Lord at face value, that concept doesn't really make much sense. How does fear give us, start us off in a season of renewal? But I need you to stay with me. Because we're going to unpack what this phrase means and what this verse means 
And we're going to, at the end, we are going to know why having a fear of the Lord is so prevalent in entering into this season. Thankfully, Psalm 111.10 is not the only place where God speaks of the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. Because Proverbs 1.7 tells us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So if we combine Proverbs 1.7 and Psalm 111.10, we have a good understanding so far that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. But then we're also told in Proverbs 1.7 that fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, if there's one thing I know is that when the Bible uses the word fool, it's never a good thing. And it's not a joking matter. Like sometimes with my friends, if something, they, they trip over something or they do something wrong, I'll say, you fool, and laugh about it. This is not one of those instances. You see, when, when we're told fools despise wisdom and instruction, these people often fail to recognize the significance of God and God's will. A fool in Scripture is a person who lives their life as if God and God's will are of no more importance or value than their own life. So, I would say we want to make sure that we have a proper understanding of knowledge and wisdom, which starts with a fear of God. So, how does that relate in comparison with what happens to when our body goes into a flight or fight response? Because it's hard to believe that God would want us to have a fear of him if he, in fact, wants us to draw close to him. Seems like there's maybe a mix-up in scripture. And at first, it can seem that the Bible is contradicting itself. But here's the great thing, because the Bible talks about both types of fear, two types of fear. The first one is servile fear. And this refers to a posture of servitude toward a malevolent owner, or one that one of fear and cowering, one that a slave works to avoid being whipped. But then there's a second type of fear that's called filial fear, which this refers to a child posture of tremendous respect and love for his father or mother and dearly wants to please them, right? So we have servile, which you think of slave master, a slave to a master, and you have filial fear, which is child to parent out of respect. A proper respect. Now, those can overlap, absolutely. But for the sake of this, we're going to separate the two, okay? So when, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we could reiterate that first point and say seasons of renewal begin with a filial fear. All right, so what does this have to do with entering into a season of renewal? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I'm going to tell you. And... You also might be asking, why do we really have to start with the fear of the Lord? Well, in order to see that, we need to look at what Scripture says. And what Scripture tells us is that there's two things we need to understand about it. The first of which is that the fear of the Lord is something to be desired. You see, God wants us to draw near to him especially when we feel like we're at the end of our rope. And I can tell you there are times throughout this season, this pandemic, that 
I would text Alex and say, this needs to end now. Every time Governor Holcomb came on and extended it, it was like a balloon popping. Right? It was just deflating. Like, when are we going to be done? Well, you see, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 tells us, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This doesn't sound like a God that wants us to cower in fear of him. And see, Jesus gives this open invitation to anyone who hears it, and he phrases the invitation in such a way that only those who are burdened by their own spiritual bankruptcy and the weight of them trying to save themselves will respond. In a way, it kind of sounds like the people that he was talking to needed to enter into a season of renewal. These people who would respond and have responded for thousands of years have a proper understanding of the fear of God. And how I know this is because of context. When looking at scripture, context is everything. If you take one verse, its meaning can go so many different ways without looking at the context of why it was written and what it was written in. For instance, if you just take this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and you don't look at anything else, then you're going to think of servial fear, of cowering in fear of God. How many times, though, have you been in a context where words have come across wrong, you use them in a wrong situation, and what was trying to be communicated is lost? Happens to me all the time. You know, you come into that conversation in the middle, and you don't hear that entire conversation, so you missed what the actual context was, and it either sounds really bad or sounds like the person doesn't know what they're talking about. So you either lead to feeling awkward or confused, because you don't have the full scope of what that person is talking about. So let's keep from feeling awkward this morning. And let's look at the context of Psalm 111.10. So, looking at the original language that the psalmist wrote in. The psalms were written in Hebrew. So to understand exactly what the fear of the Lord is, we're going to look at this phrase. Where We're going to look at one word of this phrase in Hebrew. And that's yira. Okay, it's like yira. You know, because we're excited that we're back, right? Yeah. This type of fear that yira uh, points to is... One that expresses reverence or respect in addition to a state of alarm or anxiety. In addition to. So there are actually three aspects of fearing God. Reverence, fear, and worship. Now I can fully understand two of those at face value. I can understand two of those. Because I would say that those two, being reverence and fear, are the two that we aim for the most as followers of Jesus. But here's the thing. It's not one or the other. We don't get to pick or choose. All three come together in one package. It's not, I want worship but not respect. It's not, I want respect and not fear. And that's why the fear of the Lord is to be desired just as much as we desire to worship and have reverence for God. 
Now, I know this is not an easy concept to wrap our heads around. This fear, this concept of having fear being something that you want to desire, because anytime I associate the word fear, I usually don't think of something to be desired. For instance, I have a ter- I am terrified of bees. When I was younger, I was outside working on my soccer skills, trying to become like Messi, and stepped on a ground nest of bees, or wasps, or whatever those monsters were. And obviously, they didn't like that I had just crushed their home, and so they swarmed, right? I mean, I would do that too if someone stepped on my house. I would swarm them. And to this day, anything that buzzes loudly or has the possibility or looks like it could sting me I, is my worst nightmare. Ask my wife. I've had night terrors about these suckers. So when this thing comes around, all right, this is a picture of a cicada killer. <laughs> Great name. You can imagine how I feel when these things started coming around. And the last thing I want to do is like, ooh, I want to go play with it. You see, when these things first made their way into northern Indiana, there were people going to parks just to interact with them. And I don't know why, I still don't know why people have tried to explain it to me. I don't get it. Uh, when Dana and uh, TK still lived on Nancy Street, Alex and I would go over to their house. And they had them living on the edge of their driveway because they burrow into sand. Terrifying. I've never ran so fast into someone else's house. So, and I, and I had heard all the experts say that they're harmless and they don't sting you unless provoked. So there's no need to be terrified. I still don't believe them. Momentum is fun every year because there's this sand volleyball pit. And Janelle, I've been meaning to talk to you about this. Um, because we get put in the same area every year and I have to walk by this sand volleyball pit where there's thousands of them. So I walk the long way. I'm not even kidding. Um, So yeah, so when these things come along, you add murder hornet, I still don't want anything to do with it. And then you best believe I'm staying on the East Coast, not going to the West Coast. Alex and I actually have a friend who lives in Edmonds, Washington. It's a suburb of Seattle. And he's been wanting us to come and see him. (laughs) I say, you take care of these things first, and then we'll talk about us coming out. I mean, there's other reasons we can't go see them, but, you know, that certainly helps. But you see, I had one terrifying moment with bees or hornets or wasps or whatever came out of the ground that day and buzzed and stung, and I have never had an instance where anything good has come out of interacting with them. Now, I know that there are people who absolutely love bees and and flying insects and and that's fantastic for them and they are needed i do value what bees do for our society i do i'm just not one that's going to make that happen i'm going to trust that to the experts and you know what the, the the funny thing is is people have tried and i don't know why they've tried to prove otherwise that Because of one horrifying experience, I shouldn't be deathly terrified of these things. And I've written it all off because of that one experience. But here's the thing, though. I can't help but think that a lot of us have done that with our relationship with God. We've been hurt one too many times by someone, so we've written them off. 
And we've written off any kind of relationship, even a relationship with God. Or any aspect of a relationship with God. But if that is where we're going to stay, then we, then we aren't going to be able to enter into a season of renewal. Because going back to context, we need to look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 112.1. It says, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man, did you hear that? Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. In this verse, the psalmist actually helps us out. Because he says, who greatly delights in his commandments. So, re, so listen to that again. If you fear the Lord, you're blessed and you greatly delight in his commandments. What this means is that if you're going to be someone who follows God with everything that you are, then we must delight in his commandments. And that's our third point to entering into this season of renewal. In order to enter it, we must delight in who God is. In order to actually delight in something, you know what the dictionary says you have to do? You find great pleasure in that something. Seems easy enough, right? But let me share you some synonyms for, what, for delight. Joy, pleasure, satisfaction, and glee. Now think about how we usually express those feelings or emotions. I don't know anybody that's like, yay, I have joy. Right? We're, we're excited, right? Like, so many of us, we have that extra energy this morning because we're actually back at church, right? It's a joyous experience, and we're not like, yay, back at church. Woo. Right? That's not how we do it, right? When you're excited for something, think about Christmas. I still get excited like I'm 10 on Christmas morning, right? I even help when we stay at my parents' house, I even help bring the presents out and put them around the tree, and I'm just as excited the next morning as if some more presents are going to be there. But they're not, because they're still the ones they just got for me, right? Like, I literally looked at them. But yet, somehow they're supposed to increase. I don't know. But I will always go to bed on December 24th thinking there's going to be more, so don't ruin it for me. I think about the end of this lockdown pandemic situation where Sadie finally gets to see her friends. She has been jumping up and down, telling everyone in the room who she gets to see. She's even made new friends through this pandemic. She has all this energy, and sometimes it's a chore just to put her shoes on so we can go see the friends. But I mean, can you blame her? She's excited, and she wants you to know that she's excited about it. I love her energy. You see, when we delight in something, we hold whatever that thing or person is in such high regard that we pursue that thing over anything else. This is why a true follower of God, a follower of Jesus, will delight in God. Because someone who delights in God will exalt him so highly that they pursue him above anything. Any other person, any other thought, any other action. And especially those things that will knock him out of first place. 
If we truly want to enter into a season of renewal, we must make God the first priority in our lives. I think one of the best things that ever happened during this pandemic was that sports got canceled for me. Because I can tell you that it's taken me a step back to actually enjoy the things that matter, and I've invested more in Sadie because I haven't been able to watch the NBA right now. Now, does that mean I'm cutting sports completely out of my life? No, and I'm not telling you to either. But what I am saying is that there are times in our lives where we need to evaluate what is important. I can tell you that even in these moments, uh, I got to, Alex didn't get um, time off, so I worked from home and Sadie stayed home with me. And by work from home, I mean I had like three hours in the morning and then 20 minutes sporadically throughout the day. But the work still got done. And our relationship has grown. Priorities. Now, does that mean I'm working from home all the time? No, I'm back in the office now. But you can best believe that when I'm around my daughter, I'm making sure that she has my full attention as I push her to love Jesus more. Because God is a, I want God to be a first priority. See, sadly, many of us don't do this, myself included. I'm talking to myself this morning because we don't have a fear of God or we are afraid of God and think it's a fear of God. You see, we come to church physically or online thinking that we are because we want to follow God, but in reality, we do it not because of who God is, but because we're afraid of God, what God will do if we don't. Big difference. We feel that our relationship with God rests on what we do and not who God is. And you may be sitting here thinking to yourself, no way, Sean, God has always and will be my first priority. And he may be. I am not one to judge where your heart is. But I am one to ask you questions so that you can gauge where your heart is at. I'm going to give you some questions that you can ask yourself weekly, daily, to help you gauge where you're at in making him your first priority. And before I ask these questions, I want you to know something. I want you to hear me say this, that these are questions that I have to ask myself daily. And I'm simply sharing them to you because they have helped in my relationship with the Lord. And here they are. Why am I at church today? Why did you come to church this morning? Do I give regularly to the work that God is doing, tithing, and why do I tithe? Or why don't I tithe? Asking yourself honestly. And if you, and if you notice, you, you notice uh, uh, these questions I don't have an answer for. I can't give you an answer. That is for you to answer. You know, who, who what do I pray for? Are you praying regularly? Anytime I, I've counseled students who don't have good relationships with their parents, it's usually because there's no communication. Maybe the reason our relationship with God isn't as strong is because we're not communicating with him or communicating on his behalf or on other people's behalf. Do you read your Bible daily? I, I love it. I heard one of our Momentum speakers say, if, if you pray for it, God, God may answer it, but God may answer it through his already spoken word. And so we pray, we're praying, we're like, God, answer this prayer. And he goes, I already did. I already did, and I want you to read it. 
But the only way we're going to find it is if we read it, right? Do I look for opportunities to spend with God and talk about him? I think often, to, often what we do is we look for moments to spend with God, which is good. We want to spend time with God, right? Most of these questions refer around to spending time with God, but rarely, and myself included, do I look for opportunities to talk about him. One of my people that I wrote down for um, our Invest and Invite cards is our neighbor, Kevin, who has lived next door to us. He's been a great friend, but through the times that we have lived next to him, I have barely found the moments to talk about God, and then I realized it's because I haven't been praying for him, and I haven't looked for those opportunities. It's not there if you don't look for it. And do I do the things I do because I want others to see God? You say, why do I do what I do? That's one of the things that, that we as, uh, for uh, 909, that we do often, is in our monthly youth staff meetings, we will look at the events that we do and why we do it, and if it doesn't fit with what we want to be about, our vision, our mission, then we change what we do. For instance, this year, um, thanks to COVID, last Wednesday, we had our first kickoff in person. And it was a lot of work and it was a lot of fun, but it's completely changed the vision of how we're going to do our kickoff because it fits better with the vision of what we want 909 to be. And you have to ask yourself, why do I do the things that I do? And sometimes that means you have to eliminate something that you do. For instance, I love playing video games. I loved having an Xbox and whooping Alex and some Call of Duty. But there was no point where I could point that back to Jesus. And so I sold the Xbox and all the games. What was funny is that I lent Call of Duty to Drew Schramm, and I just got it back, and it's sitting in my office. Can't play it, but... So if anybody has an Xbox 360 and they want that game, it's in my office. But also, I had to sell an electric guitar and all of my pedals. And I loved playing music, but it wasn't what I was about anymore. I wasn't pushing towards God. I wasn't pushing others to see God through that. And it actually became a distraction for me. Now, hear me say this. Just because if you play music, you play video games, doesn't mean that you have to eliminate those from your life. Hear me say that was a step that I took because that's what fit my situation and my family standards the best. And that, with that sixth question, that is what you have to do, is you have to look at do, how does it fit into the scope of your life. For me, it meant eliminating it completely. That may not be for you, and that's okay. That doesn't make you any less. But also I'm afraid that we do those, we do number six, because we're afraid that some way God is going to love us less if we don't do certain things. And we've been conditioned to think this way, haven't we? I mean, I call it, uh, I call it the free with purchase mentality. You have to sign up for a service in order to get that gift card. You have to sign up for a timeshare to get a free vacation. You have to buy the large meal to get the free medium drink. It's around us every day, so naturally we're conditioned to think this way, why would God be any different? Why wouldn't there be something that I have to do in order to get to God? Or in order for God to help me? 
No one helps me just for free. Well, here's the thing, is that God didn't just help you, he died for you. God didn't just help you, he died for you. He paid the price with his life for you. So that you could enter into an everlasting relationship, a never-ending relationship with him. He paid the one price that you can't pay, that you can't get a coupon for. He took care of that for you. And here's the best part, and this part always blows my mind, is that God wants me and you to come to the understanding of exactly who he is and understand that he wants us to come to him. So when he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, that if you're heavy laden and you're burdened, come to me, he means it. He doesn't mean come to me as long as you have the rebate for him. He says, come to me no matter what, and I will give you rest because I've already died for it. And do you know what rest does? When he says, give you rest, do you know what that does? It renews us. Right now, there are times where where Alex will have to take a nap because of the stage of life she's in with with the new baby, and she wakes up and has a new sense of energy because she's rested, depending on the day and depending on how well the nap was. Sometimes some tea comes into play, and it helps renew as well. That renewal begins with the fear that is the beginning of wisdom. And here's the thing. If you look at my sermon title, some of you pointed this out to me, which I'm glad you did. You will notice that there is something missing from the title. The top line is the, is the actual title of the sermon, Fear, the Beginning of Wisdom. Now, if you read that, and you apply it the way that it is written, the takeaway from this morning would be that we are to be afraid of the beginning of wisdom. Which, in hindsight, could be a really weird application point. But here's the thing. How that sentence reads, how that top sentence reads, fear, the beginning of wisdom, I would argue is how most of us apply the fear of the Lord to our everyday lives. Because we're afraid of what wisdom and knowledge will ask of us. We're afraid to put that comma in there where it should be. Because that means we surrender and we serve God in whatever avenue he asks of us because of what he has done for us. I honestly believe we want to grow closer to God. Whenever I talk to someone about community grace in the church that that I have the privilege of serving in, I say we are a people who are hungry to pursue God. We are. But I also think that we, all of us, myself included, fall short because we don't want to fully surrender to him in every aspect of our lives. Because it's hard for us to give up those things that have helped us cope with the hurt and the pain that has been endured throughout our lives. For instance, for a majority of my middle school and high school years, I was overweight and didn't have a whole lot of friends. And so my coping mechanism was every day after school, I would go home and look at pornography where I couldn't be rejected anymore. And it was hard for me to give it up because I wasn't sure that God would love me and accept me for me because the people I went to school with couldn't do it, so why would God do it? 
For some of you, it's your work. For some of you, it's alcohol. For some of you, it's drugs. For some of you, it's your, it's your physical relationships here. For whatever it is, whatever that coping mechanism is, we think that we need to get those figured out before God is going to allow us to come to him because the people here on earth don't want a messy person like me and they've made it, they've made it clear. People in my life have already made that clear. My own father, my own mother, my girlfriend or my boyfriend didn't want me, so why would God? I'm not good enough for any of them, so why would I be good enough for God? After all, nothing is free, right? God doesn't want someone like me with, with all my baggage. And I wish I said I made those lines up. But these are lines that I have heard, not just from adults, but also from students who have struggled with coming to God. Because we're afraid of what that comma is going to ask of us. And it breaks my heart to think that so many of us are afraid to surrender because we think that God doesn't want us unless we take care of our mess. But when you look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says that salvation is only by grace, through faith, and that you can do nothing. It is a gift of God and not of works. Or Titus 3, 5, that tells us I love this. That he saved us not because of our works done by righteousness, but according to his own mercy, not yours. His own mercy. We needed a sacrifice to pay for our sins, and God would have left, and if God would have left it up to us to atone for those sins, we would be wandering around looking for this sacrifice. And he could have said, You don't, you didn't listen to me the first time, now it's up to you to fix it. In order to be with God again, we needed someone who lived a perfect life to atone for those sins. And instead of making us try to live a perfect life, which we can't, because Romans 3.23 makes it clear that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that this feat is, is impossible by anyone except God himself. And only God can redeem us. And here's the crazy thing is that it's already available to you and you don't have to do anything. He already died for you and you can't earn his love. God loves us, loves you with an unconditional love that he wants you to stop trying to earn. We need to stop being afraid to put that comma and begin growing in the knowledge and the wisdom of God because it's who he says because of who he says he is and not because of who we think he is. You see, when we truly understand the fear of God, we lay our troubles at the feet of the one who can give us rest and will renew our tired souls. So where do we go from here? Very simple. Three next steps. Stop running. Stop running from God. His grace chases us down continually. And when we run from it, it only leaves us more empty and thirsty. And we need to stop running and allow his grace to collide with us with that grace that only has to happen, or that only comes from him. Second of all, surrender. Surrender to God and allow him to begin to change your life. And that one's hard. And this isn't just a one-time surrender. I prayed it once on May 24th, and now it's over. It's a daily surrender that even myself and 
any other leaders will tell you that we have to as well. We're all in that same boat. And then number three, commit to growing. It feels good that we're back because as Reg said, we, we, we're kicking off some new things again, kicking off those classes that are going to help us grow. But some other ways, some practical ways is possibly joining a small group. We just launched, uh, the Tuckers and, and us launched a new small group. And there's other small groups that you can join as well to grow together. Volunteer with the ministry here at the church. Make time to spend with God every day in prayer and reading scripture. Commit to it. Maybe you have to get up a half hour earlier. Don't be afraid to allow God to convict you of something that you need to change in your life. Find an accountability partner. Find someone that is walking with Jesus as you want to walk with Jesus and come alongside them and allow them to speak truth into your life. Listen to podcasts, watch videos, read books, chase after God in any opportunity that you can. And not because you're afraid of what he might do if you didn't, but out of reverence and worship for what he has already done for you and for me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, God, that we can enter into this season of renewal. God, that, that we need, God, that we so desperately need. God, these last two months have been hard, but God, we thank you that, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And whatever this means for us, God, I pray that, that we go boots to the ground and are running after you. God, I pray that we are not afraid to put the comma in the sentence, Lord, no matter what it calls of us. Lord, may we surrender everything to you, Lord. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name.